If you are in upper elementary school around that age, let me welcome you to Big Church. Welcome you to Big Church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of James. That's where we'll be camping out through our service today, the book of James. Man, about twice a year, I do one of the dumbest things that you could possibly think of. And I load up in a vehicle, an SUV, with about four or five other guys. And we take this trip into the mountains. And we go hiking on a three-day journey for about 30 miles. Uh, This is literally one of the dumbest things that you could possibly ever do. Now, I've gotten better at it over the last couple of times. But you see, the very first time that I went on this hiking journey, like I said, about 30 miles uh, we were supposed to be out there for, for three days. I was way, like, out of shape. I hadn't been on a jog. I haven't been on a run in, like, years. I was way overpacked. I had, like, 25 pounds on my back. Like, getting ready to hike 30 miles with 25 pounds on your back is crazy. Plus, I was out of shape. And I'm telling you, like, I got on the trail, and it could not have been more of, an, of like, a miserable experience. Like, could not have been a more miserable under experience, like, most miserable time of my life. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Most miserable time of my entire life. I got on this trail. I was way, like, underprepared, way overpacked. We got out there into the thick of it. The sun is beating down on my, like, on my head. And, like, I, I'm just trying to, trying to stay focused, trying to stay energized. And all the other guys around me, some of them are, are lagging. Like, I'm in the very back of the group, started to get really dehydrated. Like, you understand what I'm saying. Like, all I could think about was just like a cheeseburger. Like, man, when are we going to be done? I just need a cheeseburger. Like, somebody just get a cheeseburger. And the whole time, like, I just was ready to quit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was the one dragging the group down. I was like, gosh, I'm, I quit. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm through with this. This is the dumbest. Like, you will never Get me back on this trail. Never will you ever get me back on this hike again. Like, obviously, I did it again. I was stupid enough to do it again. Man, here's the worst part of it all, though, okay? We're getting ready on the last night, and we've already hiked 11 miles. And we're getting ready to make camp, like, where you you eat your food, you go, like, you go to sleep, you pitch your tent, you're done, like you, you get up the next morning, there's a little bit of a journey left, but not much, and we hiked 11 miles, we finally get to this destination where we're supposed to camp, and there's supposed to be fresh water, and it's supposed to be good, and we're supposed to just crash, and the next morning we're supposed to wake up, and there's supposed to be this breeze, and we get ready to make camp, and the place where we were supposed to get water from to refuel our packs to eat dinner with, completely dried up, completely dried up. And now we're in a group of about five or six guys here, and they start looking around, and they're like, guys, we are not going to be able to make camp here tonight. It's not going to happen. We, we can't do it. There's no water left. We need to eat. You don't have any water in your pack. You don't have any water in your pack. You don't. We ran completely out of water, and we depended on this little source having water. And so just in the midst of our group, they're like, well, we got to finish, boys. We got about five miles left to go. And I'm telling you, 
I looked at all five or six of these guys and I said, you're going to have to bury me right here. I'm done. I quit. If you want me to go any further, you're going to have to drive an F-250 through these woods, throw me in the back, and drive out. Like, I'm done. I quit. I, got, I really did mean this, and I sat down as if I was going to stay. And then something changed. We had this leader, this captain of our team, really good friend of mine. His name's Darren Turner. You see, he's, this, he's one of those, like, super fit guys. Like, he could run... 10 miles right now, and he probably hasn't ran in the last, a super fit guy, and he was leading us, and he comes, he locks eyes with me, and he says these words that I'll never forget. He said it lighthearted, but for me, like, it meant everything. You know, one of those moments, he's like, man, I'm not going to leave you here. I'm going to get you through it. We're going to make it. I'm going to see you through it. I'm not leaving you. And I tell you what, man, whenever he did that, I wanted to fight him right then and there, but I probably didn't have the strength. So I got up, we made it out of there, five or six miles left to go, and here I stand. I'm living, I'm still alive. But I don't think I would have made it if it hadn't been for those words where he said, you're going to make it, I'm going to see you through it. But you see, life's just like that sometimes, right? Life's just like that sometimes. Sometimes it feels like we're just a day late and a dollar short. Where it feels like we go through these seasons of life where everything is just falling apart. Like I can't seem to put myself back together. It's just not working out. I cannot make it work. Maybe there are circumstances outside of your control. Maybe you are in this season of sin where you're in this cycle and you, you've made very sinful habits and you've made peace with sin in your life and you're in this season of just feeling like you can't get out of it. Maybe you, maybe you made a big mistake. It wasn't necessarily a sin, but maybe you said something you shouldn't have said or something you didn't really mean. Maybe it was just a mistake that you're still paying for. Maybe some of you have relationships with family or friends that just, you're in a season that it's just gone bad for a little while. Maybe some of you are in a tight season financially, and it just seems like you won't get out of it. I, I don't know the circumstances or your specific issue, but I can almost guarantee that there's been a point in your life and in my life with circumstances where we have uttered those words, I quit. I'm done. Have you ever been there? Like, I've been there, yeah. I'm the only quitter up in here. But we've been in those moments or those seasons where we, we just want to look or we want to scream at God those words, I'm done. I quit. Maybe you said, I'm, I'm done with this job. I'm done with this marriage. I'm done with these kids. I'm done with this situation. Maybe you even got to that point where you, you pointed that finger and you said, I'm done with you, God. So what happens whenever we go through those moments and times in life? What, what happens whenever we go through seasons, whenever we go through valleys? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? What, do we, what are we supposed to do whenever it feels like we haven't heard from God in months? See, one of my favorite pastors and authors, his name's John Piper. He has the name or the title of a book, and I love the name of the book. 
The name of the book is called When the Darkness Will Not Lift. What do you do in those moments and times in life when it just feels like the darkness won't lift? When you're just caught, when you're in these circumstances. You see James, we've been studying him over the last 10 weeks. James who who did not first believe in Jesus and he finally did once he saw the reappearing Christ, the resurrected Christ. He saw him and he became a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. You might even call him, bless his heart, bless his soul, you might call him a church planter here in Jerusalem where he's working with brand new believers trying to get something off the ground and he's working with Christians. You see, This place in Jerusalem is one of the most hostile areas to Christianity in all the face of the earth right here. It's fresh. It hasn't been that long since Jesus was crucified. And they are hostile towards Christians, hostile towards believers. James knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it it means and what it feels like to be in one of those valleys. James knows what it means. What it means to feel like you're just running on empty emotionally, maybe running on empty spiritually, running on empty physically, like you just, I quit. You see, James, he even suffered to a point that you and I have never suffered to. James suffered to the point of death. You see, there was this angry mob, and and history tells us that James, because of persecution and because It was so tense there in Jerusalem that they wanted to kill him. That this angry mob of unbelievers, they grabbed James, took him up to the the temple, and they threw him off of this building. Threw him off to try and kill him. But once he hit the ground, he didn't die. And so they were still angry that he was alive. And so this mob, they came around him and they just continued to beat him until the point of death. James knew all about suffering. James knew all about these times that you and I might be going through, but it still, it leaves the question, okay? It leaves the question. I want you to lean in with me right here. I want you to lean in with me for just a second. We're asking the question today, when I'm suffering, when I'm going through heartache, when I'm going through trials, What am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? All right, here I am. God, you got me. You've got my attention. What am I supposed to do? James is going to answer that question for us. How am I supposed to handle suffering when it comes? And here's the bottom line. Here's the good news, okay? Here's the good news. God is going to see you through it. God is going to see you through it. He's not going to leave you where you are. God is going to see you through it. And here's the part that you probably don't want to hear, okay? This is the part that you probably don't want to hear. It's for your good. It's to make you stronger. It's to make you deeper in your walk with Christ. It's to make you more like Jesus. Suffering. Even suffering by design, is for our good. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and jump with me to James chapter 5. If you've got it, say I'm there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our connect table. 
That is a free gift to you. But James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 7, okay? James 5, verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Boy, those prophets in the Old Testament, that's what he's talking about. They did not have it easy. Read Jeremiah. Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. You have received and heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be your yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. You see, we've asked the question, what am I supposed to do in the midst of suffering? What am I supposed to do? James started this book, if you remember, several weeks ago, almost 10 weeks ago today, where Chris preached on James 1. And what was that addressed to? What was that about? It was about suffering. What are we supposed to do in the midst of trial? And here we are. He's closing out this letter with those same exact words. He's closing out the letter, talking to us about suffering. And those first words that he says, here's how you handle it. You be patient. Be patient. How long? How long I got to be patient? What does James say? James says, until the coming of the Lord. That's a long time. <laughs> that is a long time. How long do I have to be patient? How long is this going to be over? When I, just tell me when I'm out of it. Just tell me when it's over. James says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. You see, we talked about it last week. You and I, we view time differently than God views time. God seems to think and, and view time through the realm of, of millennium and through the through the realm of thousands of years, we view time minute by minute, moment by moment, second by second, year after year. We view time differently than how God used it, how God views time. But we said just last week when we talked about boasting about tomorrow, how long is our lifespan? It's a mist. It's a mist. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. So James says. Be patient. That's a long time. <laughs> That's a long time, but be patient. How many of you, whenever you were a child, you heard this great little phrase, patience is a virtue? How many of you heard that growing up? Out of all the sayings, that was probably my least favorite. Next to, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. I can say that. My mom's actually here today on vacation. And she was actually the one that said it all the time. Patience is a virtue. Patience is a virtue. That made me more impatient. But James is saying right here that patience is a virtue. It seems really cheap, and it seems like life is like falling apart. Like, it just, James, what are you talking about? Just be patient? Like, that seems cheap. Like, dude, my life is falling apart. I can't seem to figure it all out. I'm at the end of my rope, and all you've got for me is just be patient? Dude. 
What are you talking about? Listen to what he says, though. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. You see, it's like a field. James says that it's like a field. He's talking to his church and he's saying, we're like a field, okay? And even our church, Creekside Church, it's like a field. And here's a plant over here. And here's a plant over here. And I'm a plant here. And you're a plant. Like we're all on this field. And all of us are these, we're these plants. And, and James says that, that it's like we're Christians, like as Christians, that we're all growing up to look more like Jesus, that we're all going through these, these processes and, and all going through these steps to where we're all being grown on the same playing field. And some of us are growing more than others. Some of us are growing faster than others. Some of us, it's taking a long time to look more and mature, more like Jesus. But God is producing something in you that you can't see. You feel it, but you can't see it. Just like a farmer goes out to a field and they're working on it. They're putting in their sweat. They're putting in their toil. And it doesn't seem like anything is happening. It doesn't seem like anything's growing. It doesn't seem like anything's moving. Why am I not growing? Why is, any, why is nothing happening? But while you're not seeing it, something is at work there. Something is growing in the process. You can't see it, but you certainly feel it. Now, now, I'm not a farmer, all right? I'm not a farmer. I do the very best that I can with three flowers out in the front yard, mostly weeds. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a, I don't have a green thumb or anything like that. But I hear that it's hard work. I have friends who have done this who grew up on a farm. I hear that it's tough. I hear that it's hard work. Now, some of you, I don't know if you grew up on a farm or anything like that, but but you probably know that it's hard work too. How many of you this week for Thanksgiving, you had vegetables on the table for Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. How many of you had vegetables on the table? How many of you had sweet potatoes? How many of you had collards? How many of you had carrots on the table for Thanksgiving? How many of you had macaroni and cheese? That's not a vegetable. You just got to throw up. Only in the South is macaroni and cheese a vegetable. Now see, here's the thing about those vegetables that sat on your table. You went to the store, you picked it up, put it in your, in your buggy, went to checkout, handed money, you took it home, you put it on the table, you had it there in five minutes. It was done. It was a process, maybe a two-step process. You got your vegetables, you put it on the table, everybody's happy, everybody's fed, here we go. But you see, on the other side of that represents a farmer who worked with those vegetables. Who got up every single day going out to check on them. Who watered them. Who toiled in the ground to make sure that they were ready to go. It was about a three-month process for that farmer. About three months of them going out, looking at it. Okay, we've got crops, man. Are we going to have a good crop year? Are we not going to have a good crop year? I've got it now. I can harvest it. And it goes and it's sent out to you and you get it and you enjoy it for about four or five minutes. But on the other side, it represents somebody else's 
sweat. It represents somebody else's hard work, their labor that they've put into it for months at a time. You see, here as Christians, we want fast. We want boom, boom, boom. Just tell me what I need to do. Step one, two, three. Just tell me how I can get out of this. Just tell me how I can become the best Christian. Just tell me how I can get my life fixed. And that's not the way it works. Christianity is not from store to table. Christianity is a process. Discipleship is a process. Looking more like Jesus day in and day out, it is a process and it is a tough, tough process. It's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that you can snap your fingers and and it just produces itself. You see, we all have images of who we want to be. I want to be this type of Christian. I want to be the best possible believer and follower of Jesus than I possibly can be. And the harsh reality is that sometimes it takes suffering to get to that point. Sometimes it takes days of just saying, I don't have the answers. It takes seasons where you're on your face just weeping to the Lord. That's what it takes. Christianity is not a microwave religion. It's not do this, 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 and this, and everything will go well for you. It's not. It is a faith in a relationship where Christ wants what's best for you, and sometimes He has to take things away from you, and it hurts, and it it devastates you, and it crushes you, but it is for your good. It is a grueling process. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When is that? I don't know. You don't know, but he started a work in you that will be completed at the arrival of Jesus Christ. And that's sweet to me. I don't know about you, I don't know what season you're in right now. Some of you are hurting. Some of you have been through it. Some of you are going through one of the hardest experiences of your life. This is a process brought about by Jesus Christ, and it will not be completed until he arrives. So be patient. Be patient. See, James did that. He relied on God to get him through the suffering and pain. And then he goes on a little bit in verse 8. He says, you also be patient. But the second thing that he tells us, he says, establish your hearts. For what? Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. That means Be firmly planted in your walk with Christ. Be be firm. Be planted. Now you see, for me, in my walk with Christ, there are things that help me establish my heart, and there are things that tear away my affections for Christ. There are things that are healthy, that build and establish my heart for the Lord, and there are things that just tear it down, that Take away my affections for Christ. You see, James is saying, in the midst of this suffering, he's saying, be patient, but in the midst of this suffering, establish your hearts. Put roots down. Put stakes in the ground. Make statements where you say, I'm going to allow this process to grow me, 
and not allow me to digress. So let me just give you a few examples of what those things are for me. There are some healthy rhythms that you can hang on to. For me, one of those things is music. Whenever I listen to music, and, and I don't just mean worship music. All, like if you can't listen to Beethoven and worship, then something's wrong. I'm not exactly talking about Garth Brooks or anything like that. But it's all worship, man. If you can't listen to good, sound music and allow that to be healing and, and restorative to who you are and allow that to be just worshipful in your car rides in the morning, allow that, those, those words to just make you reflect on Christ, make you reflect on who He is. Scripture memorization. Scripture memorization, I would be lying if I didn't tell you. I've had nights in my life where I just sat there with nothing to hang on to but Romans 8. I'd be lying if I told you otherwise. Knowing the Scriptures, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Scripture memorization, putting those things to mind where you've got nothing else. And there's nothing that will turn your mind away. There's nothing that will numb the pain but the Scriptures and remembering who God has said that I am. There's been times where I've just had to put my hands to work. Some of you, you use your minds all day long. Like you use your minds all day long. And so it's good for you whenever you come home at night to not necessarily sit down and, and watch Netflix or anything like that. But it's good for you to have some type of useful hobby. Like put your hands to work. Go and tinker outside on the lawnmower. Go work. Put your hands to work where you're, you're shutting those things off. And that is a part of the process. Like it's not just wasting time, but that is a part of the process where you're establishing your heart in the Lord. Some of you, you need a more healthy hobby. But some of you, you, you definitely need, like, you need that lightning rod in your life where you can go to in moments of stress and moments of chaos. You know what a, a lightning rod is, right? A lightning rod is this, this, it's this tall pole. It, it, it absorbs the lightning so that the lightning doesn't strike anything else. You need a lightning rod in your life. Whenever there's chaos, whenever you're suffering, when you're in the thick of it, you need somebody that you can go to and say, hey, here's what's going on. I just need you to sit and listen. You need somebody like that. You need a friend. And I don't necessarily mean your spouse because your spouse already knows. You need somebody who's going to walk through that process with you, who's going to sit and listen, who can answer those questions, answer those concerns. And maybe they don't even say anything at all. Maybe they just sit and listen. Maybe there's just a shoulder for you to cry on in the midst of suffering. Listen to me. Don't underestimate this. You need somebody. You need somebody there to steer you back to the truth. And, and listen, if somebody, if somebody comes to you and they say, hey, I've got this going on in my life and I just need you to sit and listen, you know what you need to do? Sit and listen. Don't feel like you need to offer the solution. Don't feel like you need to be Jesus. Just sit and listen. That might be the very best thing. Now, if it starts to go off the rails, of course, you can, you can quote Scripture, point them back to the Lord. But ultimately what they probably need is just somebody to listen to them and, 
feels like they, they can understand. Now, now, those are the healthy things that I can do that establish my heart. There are also some un, very, very unhealthy things that I can do that do not help to establish my heart in the Lord. There are things that take away from my affections in Christ. Some of those things, and I'm just thinking about some of those things are like extra food. Just extra food, man. I'm, I'm hurting, I'm depressed, I'm suffering, whatever it is. I just, I'm absorbing food. That's not healthy. That is not a healthy outlet. And it will just lead, it's like a bungee cord. You go after it and it will just send you right back to your problem. Alcohol. James is getting ready to tell us in just a second. He says, for those of you who, who, who might be suffering, who, who are in the middle of it, let him pray. He doesn't say, take extra alcohol. He doesn't say, let him drink to numb the pain. He says, let him pray. And there's something beautiful and something telling about that. Because we've got children in the room, I'll, I'll say this, maybe unhealthy internet time and browsing. But you know what I mean. Unhealthy times on the internet, unhealthy habits when we're browsing. Have you allowed that to be an unhealthy outlet where you... Where do you go another course? Where you go another direction where you're saying, God won't get me through it. I need this. It's dangerous. And that is not how you establish your heart in the Lord. What about Facebook? Facebook is not a healthy thing to do in the midst of suffering. As a matter of fact, spending more time and unhealthy time on Facebook will just lead you into more depression. Because you're looking around, man, my friends and my neighbors, they're having the best time of their life. Man, they're at Disney, and I'm sitting here eating cheesecake. What's going on? It's not healthy. It just sends you into this spiraling situation where you just, you hate life. That's not how you establish your heart. That's not how you become healthy. So choose healthy habits in those times where we establish our hearts. And he goes on a little bit further. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do not grumble against one another. I won't go too much into that. I'll just say this. There's an expression that goes around. It's a little bit like this. Hurt people, hurt people. And sometimes whenever you're in the midst of hurt, whenever you're in the midst of pain, and you've got something against another brother, you've got something against a sister in Christ, and it's hurting you and you're wounded deeply, sometimes you can allow that to hurt somebody else. Hurt people, hurt people. And so James is saying here, do not grumble against one another because what has happened here in the churches in Jerusalem is that they have allowed their own suffering to, to become divisive and they point fingers and they blame and say, you're the reason for this and, and I'm mad at you and we're grumbling about this situation. But really what's happened is that they've allowed their hurts and their pains to cause them to hurt others, James says, to steer clear of that. And then he goes on a little bit further. He says, verse 10, as an example of of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. It says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. 
you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. How many of you know the story of Job? Go ahead and turn there. Turn to the book of Job real fast. Turn to the book of Job. We're going to pick up there in the last chapter. Now, if you don't know where Job is, open up to the Psalms and then go one book to the left. We're going to be in, in Job chapter 42. He's talking about this man named Job, and he says, Remember the steadfastness of Job. What does he say about Job? Who is Job? You see, Job was this man of great wealth, great possessions. He was a man of great character. You might look at him and say, what in the world could ever go wrong for Job? What could possibly happen to Job? He was a man of great character. He was upright before the Lord. And at the very beginning, Job chapter 1, if you've never read it, I challenge you to go read it sometime this week, especially if you're in the midst of some heartache and some trial. It says that Job is allowed to be tempted by Satan. That Satan and God are in this, they're in this, uh, in this conversation. And, and, he, and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? Job is a man of upright character. He's a man that is upright. He has walked rightly before me. And Satan goes after Job, and he sends suffering on Job. And he makes him feel it in ways that none of us have ever felt suffering before. You see, Job, after Satan was allowed to test him, it says that these servants are off in the field, and the servants, they come back. And it's like every time they come back, they have some type of different report. One time they come back with a report that all of his wealth and his possessions were just about taken away. Can you imagine that with me today? Like, just imagine if everything you had, possession-wise, was just gone in an instant. And we just did Thanksgiving last week. I hope you were thankful. But can you imagine if all of your possessions were just gone in the blink of an eye? That's what happened to Job. He gets a second report that all of his servants and all of his animals were taken away. Now this right here, this is his livelihood. This is how he makes his money. This is how he, he, he stays fresh, stays on the top of his game. All of his servants, all of his, all of his animals, gone. In the blink of an eye. This is how you stay rich, right? This is how you stay on top of things, by having workers and having people work for you. It's gone in the blink of an eye. And then it gets even worse, if it could, where James, Job's sons and his daughters are all taken away in the blink of an eye. Wealth, gone. Workers, employees, sheep, way to make a living, gone. House, gone. Family, gone. And this entire book of Job is about this wrestling process that he has with God just wrestling in the midst of suffering. And he's got three friends there, and they're the worst. It's the worst time in Job's life. He's suffering unimaginable pain. He even goes to this point where he laments his birth. He hates the fact that he was ever born. Now, I've never been that low. And I don't know about you, but I hope you've never been that low. Job is here in this moment. He says, I wish that I had never been born. But through all the suffering, he remains steadfast. He was patient. 
And he said, I'm going to establish my heart in the Lord. He did not curse God. You see, not one of us has been through the type of suffering that Job went through. And at the end of this all, this book, it closes with this, this prayer that he's, he's having with God. So if you got it, look in Job 42. Job 42, starting in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord. It's been this back and forth conversation, this prayer between Job and God. And this is what Job says to God. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What if you ever got to a point in your life where you said that to God? Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. You see, he talked to God in ways that, that he didn't understand. And he, he, he became to realize that God is full of glory. He is full of reasons that we could never understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, this is where we're going right here. He says, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But listen to these words. He says, but now my eye sees you. But now my eye sees you in a way that I've never known before. And it was tough. And you've got chapter after chapter after chapter of this book where Job is just an angst, where he's suffering. And he knew God before. He was an upright man. It says that he was righteous. He said that I have heard of you. And at the end of this whole process, he gets to this point in his life. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What if our suffering allowed us to be in a better place in our relationship with God? What if through the heartache, through the pain, through the toil, through all of it, we're patient, we established our hearts for the coming of the Lord, and even through the midst of it, we allowed Him to take us to a brand new place that we've never been before. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning and the opportunity that we have to worship together, the opportunity that we have now to gather together. Lord, some of us this morning are hurting and in deep pain and in deep toil, and we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers to get us out of this problem, Lord. We don't even have the strength to face it tomorrow. But what we do have is hope that you're doing something greater that we cannot see. Where some of us here this morning are just at the end of our ropes, at the end of it all, Lord, and looking around and wondering what's left. I don't have anything left to give. James says, Jesus says, God says, be patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand.
And we hold on to this promise that who started a work in us will finish it, will complete it. When we stand before you one day clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, I pray now in the midst of this moment, in the midst of this time, that some of us would find healing, that some of us would, Lord, just get alone and, and maybe, like Job, just wrestle with you for just a second. As bad as we want to be pulled out of it, it wouldn't help. As bad as we want to be pulled out of it, we wouldn't come away looking any more like Christ. Jesus, we don't understand it, but we do trust you. We know that you are good and that you do good always. In Jesus' name. I don't know where this hits you today. For those of you who might be in the midst of a hard time, if you need a pastor to talk to, I'll be in the back. My wife, Ashley, will be in the back. And if you just need somebody to pray with, we're there for you. If today you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we hope that you know and come away knowing the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners that you've done a lot of things and you've been rebellious, but Christ stands before us this morning with grace, with truth, and with love. And he says, I have grace for you to bring you into this family that you might know a salvation that you've never known before. So if you do not know Christ today, we invite you to lower yourself. And if you need a pastor to talk with, I'll be in the back of the room. However you feel Christ calling you this morning, we just pray that you would be obedient.